is it simply, you know, big flames and, and uh, on the hose line and interior fire attack that we're using to try to attract people to want to do this job? That's not, in fact, you know, how we spend a majority of our day or our time serving our communities. Angeles. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. If you've ever walked into a firehouse and heard someone say, this isn't what I signed up for, or if you've ever thought of yourself, let me relate a quick story. About five, six years ago, maybe, I was visiting Station 71 in Prescott, Arizona. The engine was dispatched to a lift assist. Now, you may think you know what that is, but this call was not that. Engine 71 arrived to find a woman who needed help getting into the cab of a U-Haul truck so she could move to her new home. I asked one of the firefighters why they answered calls like that, and he said, Scott, if we don't go, who will? That has become the de facto definition of an all-hazards fire rescue department these days, it seems. If the cops serve and protect, fire's motto might be something like, need help? will be there. But if you joined the fire department because you wanted to fight fires, you may think you're wasting your time with medical runs to frequent flyers or even lift assists. My guest today says firefighters need to understand that these calls are part of the job too. They're not just throwaways. Bob Horton is the fire chief for Fire District 3 in Jackson County, Oregon. He's on the board of directors for the Western Fire Chiefs Association and the Oregon Fire Chiefs Association. He serves on the IAFC's Communications Committee, and he also hosts a podcast, Assuming Command. And Bob Horton joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure to be on the show. So let's start with the question that probably everybody has on their mind, which is, are fire departments guilty of bait-and-switch recruiting? That's an interesting way to phrase it. I, you know, I wonder, I don't know that I would suggest that it's deliberate in the sense that it's a bait-and-switch. Um, I don't know that we have been as honest with ourselves as an industry about making modifications of our, of our recruitment and our processes to really reflect what changes in service delivery we're espousing that we do. Uh, Yet when we're looking at recruitment, we're still sort of looking for the same mold that perhaps we were decades ago. Well, I wonder you say honest with ourselves and that that could be true. I mean, firefighters think of themselves as people who fight fires, but is there a little bit of sleight of hand to get people on board? There's no question that we you know, have a tendency to sensationalize, I think the, you know, the sort of glory parts of the job that we see on Hollywood to really establish some set of expectations in aspiring firefighters that this is what this profession's really about. I've been doing this for a little over 20 years. Many of your listeners probably much longer than that. 
Um, that's not, in fact, you know, how we spend a majority of our day or our time serving our communities. Uh, so it is a bit disingenuous to sort of put out there that this is what every day or, you know, fr- frankly, even every week might look like in this profession. Uh, now, there may be that fire department out there that's having that experience. And if you're one of those fire departments, then, then maybe you're reflecting well what type of service you're providing. But a majority of our fire departments across this country um, are not, in fact, you know, doing uh, the, the stuff that they see on Hollywood, that folks see on Hollywood on a routine basis. But in fact, it's just a piece of this overall all hazards and risk reduction approach that we have in service delivery to our communities. When you refer to people who say, I didn't sign up for this, are you referring to people who don't want to deal in EMS or the, all the other things that go with being a firefighter? I've, I found it perplexing. You know, what is it that people were in fact signing up for? It, so it wasn't necessarily reflective of any person. It was this overarching experience I had some people in my own organization trying to pinpoint, you know, who, who is it that he's talking about? I'm sort of talking about this experience we're having across our industry and not a particular person in my, my life. But in my, my experience has been there's a lot of drain on the workforce over the last the two decades I've been in on medical well, I call them medical calls or dispatched as medical calls. They, they may not always be actually medical, you know, per our training and protocols, but social service type calls. And, you know, I I found that and statistically most frequently, that's the types of challenges we're being asked to serve through the emergency response system. And those that that are sort of unaware of that coming into the system are either being set up, set up for failure, or just sort of have a a false sense of acceptance to this is part of the 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 gig. In your experience, do people stay and just grumble about it when they learn the reality firsthand? Do they usually quit and go do something else? Personally, in the organizations I've been in, we have not seen high levels of turnover. Uh, my colleagues, fire chiefs in other areas are reporting higher levels of turnover, not just from their organization to other fire departments. Sometimes that happens just because of the you know various economic factors that drive someone to make that decision. But there are you know, reports of firefighters simply leaving the industry to go in and do something different. We, we locally haven't seen turnover uh, at high levels that might, I might have expected. So I, uh, to answer your question there, Scott, I think in general, it's much more of this um, kind of a grumbling about, about the job. You know, the, this isn't what I signed up for. And, you know, sort of just kind of draining, draining on some or building up negativity around the, the profession. Well, I have no way to substantiate this, but I somehow have a sneaking suspicion that if on the first day of the fire academy or in firefighter one school or whatever, the instructor said, if you join this department, you're not going to be fighting very many fires. You're going to be going to medical calls. I imagine in my mind that, that a lot of the people sitting in the classroom will say, sure, yeah, that's what they tell you, but there's really going to be a lot of fires. I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't disagree. I think that we, and that's where I wonder what message, what are we putting out to folks to recruit them into? Are, are we doing a disservice? I guess would be a bit of the, the question and uh, how we sell what, 
what type of professional uh, or what this profession is going to be like and the type of professionals we want to attract to it. And, and if so, then, then that's a fair statement that it's not what they signed up for. Now, I knew what I was getting into when I you know, turned in my application and been passionate about providing service to the community ever since. Uh, but to your point, yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it's reasonable that there might be some communication of what the job is like, but it doesn't quite shift the expectation in people's minds that they still saw what they saw on TV or uh, where I think we do have control over it is what, uh, how we are portraying this profession in our materials, in our marketing materials about the job, you know, do the marketing materials include demonstrating the service delivery, the service calls, the good intent work that, you know, majority of our, or I I should say a, a high percentage of calls that we respond to are, or is it simply, you know, big flames and, and uh, on the hose line and interior fire attack that we're using to try to attract people to want to do this job? No, this is not a new problem. I mean, I go back to my usual historical resource, which is the emergency television show of the 70s. In the first episode, when firefighters were presented with the opportunity to become paramedics, One of them was in favor, the other one said, why would I want to do that? And, of course, by the end of the episode, he had changed his mind. But even when they started this concept, firefighters were saying, but that's not what I'm here to do. So, how is it that we've gotten 50 years down the line and we still haven't conquered this problem yet? I think that's a fair question to ask. And I think that is, you know, part of the impetus of the article was to really get us to sit down, get leaders to sit down at the table and have a, have a really frank conversation about what have we done even different in the last 50 years to, to maybe change this narrative. Uh, It seems to me that we, you know, we allow, or we have in our industry folks that, you know, come in inside and you just sort of quote, choose to take the EMS path or be a passionate EMS provider or a paramedic in some cases. And those that just simply elect to say, well, that's not what I do. You know, that's not the, you know, you're, they might be there, you know, certified as an EMT, usually as a minimum qualification. Uh, but because they simply don't have that passion for it, it's acceptable that someone else be responsible for that because I <laughs> fire the firefighting stuff. And, uh, I, that's the piece that we really got to to do away with. And I, that was a good illustration from the episode of Emergency where it it sort of illustrated who would have thought 50 years later, we're still having this divide in firehouses across the country of those that are, quote, EMS providers and those that just go along for the ride. Well, some people may not mind being a firefighter paramedic, but then others might not really want to learn EMS skills. Is that all right in today's fire service? It depends on the on the service delivery of the organization. There are, you know, there are firefighting organizations in the state of Oregon that, you know, that are not really um, EMS uh, providing agencies, but that is, that is less common than not. Most of our, our fire departments, uh, municipal fire departments, even, you know, in Oregon, a lot of our rural fire protection districts are all hazards. Uh, fire rescue medical response units, and in which case then you, you sign up for all of it. You know, this is the service you provide. This is what the, the expectations of the organization is. So I don't think having 
lines of the types of calls that that we want to go on versus the ones we don't. I don't know that there's room for that in today's modern fire service. Is the modern day fire service being turned into too much of a catch-all? Well, I think that there's, I think as the, the demands and the needs of our community evolve, that it would be I think it's wise of us as, as fire industries to recognize the, you know, the capabilities that we have to be able to provide service to our community. And so I, I think it happening to us, like we just sort of uh, allow the um, evolution of the 911 system to you know, deviate from what its intent was. And now it just sort of becomes the de facto service of choice. I would argue that a lot of the reason why we're seeing 911 access for low acuity medical or social service needs is it's a simply it's simply a frictionless access point. I gave a talk at a at a conference about you know really making this comparison of 911 is the uh, one click purchase you know equivalent to Amazon. Uh, you you need to go get services and in a community. Uh, it's really challenging and heaven forbid you don't have either an identification card or transportation to get there because it, it's just simply not not feasible in many cases. But 911 is one of the most reliable services government provides and we are uh, we are quick to respond. Uh, so my you know, my call to action and, and this I've resonated this message across the organizations I've had a chance to lead has been, you know, if we're going to continue to be a great organization in providing emergency response service. We are going to have to get better and be great at how we manage non-emergency requests for service. Now, we're not afraid to embrace what that looks like in service delivery to our community, uh, but it has to be a different approach than how we're doing all hazard emergencies. It's simply taxing, you know, low acuity for social service need responses as it's grown and it and there's a lot of, we could probably do a whole podcast on, on espousing why 911 has become the default service of choice. So I won't necessarily go into that now, but you know, what we are seeing is drain on emergency response resource. Uh, it's wearing out our personnel. It's impacting uh, morale. We're, we're losing t- valuable time and training for emergencies. So uh, it was a long way for me to deviate from managing these these call types in a uh, sophisticated manner and offering through our fire rescue services additional resources. That's a value judgment communities have to make. I, I would articulate that we should embrace that and that we should build models that help support service delivery to the community. Because when it really boils down to it, when I think about what what value add we have for communities to our fire rescue services is we have extraordinarily sophisticated call taking and triage systems. We are the experts in mobile resource deployment. Our training models are second to none. We can take somebody who has essentially no emergency response training and have them fully qualified in a, man- in a manner of months and response ready. Uh, so when we think about what we do as a process in service to our community, then you ask, you know, these challenges that we are seeing across different, different um, domains of, of service, service to the community, uh, is there a place to plug us in? Is our mobile response uh, to provide service at just in time in various entities valuable in other means to our community? And I think if your answer is yes, then I, you know, I encourage folks, uh, fire chiefs, 
city managers to um, explore that model and maybe perhaps come up with different collaborations amongst departments and get the best out of everybody's expertise. You know, along those same lines, I asked a couple of fire chiefs if their departments responded to the cliche cat in a tree call. One of them said, I mean, they both said the same thing, which is, have you ever seen a cat skeleton in a tree? And of course you haven't because they can get down. But one of them said yes, and I'll tell you why. Do we have better things to do? Probably. But if somebody takes a ladder and goes up there to get the cat themselves and they fall and become injured, then we have to deal with a real emergency and possibly serious injuries. Whereas if we go out there, we're likely to get it taken care of professionally and without any injury. I agree. I I agree with that chief sentiment that, you know, when we think about how we serve our community, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's responsible to not be wise to getting ahead of problems before they start. And that's a, that's a really appropriate approach to uh, helping serve your community. And we would, you know, we would certainly expect that our officers are, are, you know, equipped and trained to make the, a risk benefit decision, you know, the cat in the tree, albeit cliche, but that isn't the only type of call where somebody might scratch their head and say, is the, uh, is this the appropriate response to this type of need? And, you know, that, that answer could, you know, could likely be yes. You know, yes, this is, this is something that we do uh, to help get our community set up for success through value added services. And, and I applaud those organizations that are embracing that uh, just waiting for emergencies to happen uh, is not a responsible way to provide service. So what do we need to do to attract the right kind of recruits, the one who possess physical skills for firefighting and a willingness to use other skills most of the time? I would offer that the best thing to do is be incredibly transparent about the expectations of the job that based on your community's demographics and statistical experience and your ability to forecast what changes to your community are occurring in the future. This is what you can expect out of a, out of a career in the fire service in your particular organization. And that our position description should reflect the, the characteristics that we would expect out of somebody to serve this multifaceted mission. I don't ever want anyone to take away that I think it's easy and that I think that there's a, a droves of people that could be successful in both being like you describe, you know, fit enough and have the wherewithal to perform under the most uh, austere of, of uh, physical conditions and yet be compassionate, be compassionate on the other side of that in, in other types of service delivery and to be able to have, you know, a real positive attitude and a service mindset uh, even after working long hours and long shifts, that is absolutely not easy. But those people do exist. And the key for us is to, you know, cultivate an environment where we're recruiting based on the actual, you know, expectations of the position, make it really clear that this is the type of job where you're expected to have this broad spectrum. Uh, you know, we simply added in some of our position, in our position recruitments to say, you know, just genuinely be nice. You know, are you, are you a nice person? You know, like we, we, we found after I, we were reflecting on this, I mean, it just simply doesn't say that in the position description. It's much, 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 much more technical in areas like that. And, and we found that, you know, a service mindset, you know, compassionate folks to lead in, you know, uh, is we think to be an effective 
uh, effective way. Our marketing materials are, are always evolving to showcase not just fire. And we don't eliminate that from our marketing materials because that is a very dangerous uh, and a high risk uh, area of service that we provide to the community, but it's not the only thing we do. And so when people do some research on our organization, we want to make sure that we're reflecting everything that can be, or at least as much of the different types of service areas that we provide so that someone who chooses to apply for our organization has, you know, extreme clarity that this is a multifaceted position. And, you know, this is anecdotal, but you're really those that see the service delivery and have the passion for helping the community, I think have stronger, uh, longer, healthier careers than, than folks who sort of feel bogged down by the quote, unnecessary calls that we are responding to. It's a pretty deep subject. Bob Horton, thanks for talking with me today on Code 3. Thank you, Scott. It was a pleasure to be on the show. I appreciate uh, visiting with you. And there's more about how to get the right people interested in working at your department on our website at code3podcast.com slash bait and switch. All one word, bait and switch. Want to hear a little bit more from Chief Bob Horton? Become a patron of Code 3 for just 10 bucks a month and get access to our full library of bull session content. He's in there. Just head over to Code3Podcast.com slash support or click on the support link at the website to become a patron today. If you think your department needs to change its recruiting tactics, maybe you can get the right administrative officer to listen to Bob on today's episode. Who knows, it might start to change things at your department. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Oren. Until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.